I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sandy M. Um, hi, I'm Sandy Compulsive Reader. I was going to say Sandy M. I'm Sandy Compulsive Reader. Hi, Sandy. Um, God, I feel good stepping up and being high for once, you know. <laughs> Always down here. Um, just to qualify, I came in the program wearing 165. I weigh about 126. Um, I will take a, if everything goes fine, I will take a 21-year candle in December. And uh, this has saved my ass. So, I'll start from the beginning. First, I was born. No. Um, um, I was a happy child until, who knows when, until I was abused as a child. Very young, I was abused. Um, I have pictures going around that show you my different stages of baby, then thin, then, then, then heavy, then thin, you know, everything um, in that envelope. So. But I was abused by my mother and wasn't a happy child at all. Very loved by my father. I looked just like my father. I act like my father. I have the same diseases my father had. I have nothing of what my, my sisters have or my mom's side. So I grew up being very, very close to my father. And there were so many times I was sent to bed with no food um, and told I couldn't have this and I couldn't have that. And, you know, this is when I'm, like, very young and didn't know any better and just would cry a lot, got in trouble, got hit a lot. And when I was sent to bed with no food, my father would come in and sneak food into me into the bedroom. And then when my mom found the crumbs in the bed, I got beaten again because, you know, I, I ate. Um, I was Peck's bad girl at growing up, or the bad seed. If anybody saw the bad seed, the movie that was umpteen years ago, uh, I'm going to be 60 in January. And, you know, I go back to these days of, these days, you know, when I was much younger. And there was a movie called, with Patty McCormick, called The Bad Seed. And she always got in trouble. She always did things to get attention. And what I did was set the toilet on fire. Well, I thought it was setting the toilet on fire. I put a bunch of paper in the toilet seat and thought the water would come up and not burn it. Well, little did I know that the fire took over and burnt the bathroom, part of the bathroom. Um, I would throw things at people, and I threw a can at my neighbor, and she ended up having stitches. I set my neighbor's porch on fire. Uh, I got sent when I was in school to in a closet because I was such a bad girl. I even had a teacher my father had named Mr. Smeltzer. And he said to me, oh, you're Harvey's daughter, huh? <laughs> it was like, okay, this little trail. But what I did during all this time was I started eating. I started eating all the time because I was a very unhappy child. I had nobody I could really talk to. Um, I'm the oldest of three girls. And there's a difference. there was a two-and-a-half-year difference between one sister and an eight-and-a-half-year difference between my other sister. So during this time, I would try to be as good as I could and didn't work. I mean, we even had a maid. I'm from St. Louis. We even had a person that... that was more like my mother than my mom was. She'd take care of me when I came home. I could sit and talk to her about problems. She'd listen to me where my mom wouldn't. Um, it was always my mom would find something wrong with me. Always. And it's tough 
when you're young and you can't please your parents. So my grandfather, my grandparents were great. They would come over on Sunday morning. They'd pull up in front of the house. And my father worked at, a, my grandfather worked at a place called Famous and Bar, which is Macy's out here. And what he would do was come in, he'd beep his horn and open up the trunk. And the trunk was a candy store. I can, you know, it's funny how we remember, even when we're nine years old, we remember now there was Heavenly Hash, Jawbreakers, Jujubees, the cigarettes that blew smoke out of it. You know, I remember exactly what was in his car. You know, to this day. And we'd go in there and take everything we wanted. And then I got half my stuff taken away by my mother. And then I'd watch at night through a mirror, and I'd watch my mom in her bedroom eating all this food in her bed. Thinking, I'm not allowed to eat like this. But here she was eating wheat thins and candy and everything else. And it was like, why can't I eat like that? Why am I not allowed to have this stuff if she's allowed to have it? So, as I grew up, um, I just did the best I could. I mean, there was nothing I could do to please my mom. I mean, I was thrown in the bathtub one time and I was beaten. I dropped a carton of milk on the floor and I was hit over the head with a pan. Um, That's to give you an idea of the abuse that I went through. In fact, my family came out here at my dad's funeral and turned around me and said, we can't believe the way you've grown up because we really thought you would be in jail or on drugs or something else. And you know what? I always thought I would be too. I always thought, I thought that going to jail when I was younger was better than staying in my family's house. I would steal, steal money, steal food, anything to get caught to go to jail because I thought I would be happier there than being where I was. So as I got older... My father had a nervous breakdown and moved out, came out here when he had his nervous breakdown. And my family decided we were all going to come to California. This was in my senior year. All my friends that I had gone to school with from elementary school all the way up, and I had to leave. Because, see, I was blamed for my father's nervous breakdown. I went to a therapist and my mom blamed me for his troubles. And the therapist said, he told me I had nothing to do with it. But it was still in my head that it was my fault. I'm being blamed for it. What a bad kid I am. What a bad kid I am. And, you know, I left a boyfriend, I mean, that I've been going with for years. I mean, my whole life was there. My whole life. 18 years of my life was back in St. Louis. And here I drove with my father to um, California and my mom stayed back there with my sisters and they flew out. My dad and I had a great time. I got to eat anything I wanted and nothing was said and I got to talk to him. He and I were very close. So we got out here and moved into a house and I went to Taft High School. And at that time in 1965, Taft was the snobbiest school I had ever seen in my life. I came from a city and an area where everybody knew everybody, really down to earth. If you were a newcomer, you were welcomed in, just so pleasant that you didn't feel like an outcast. Then I come into the school my senior year, made no friends, didn't go to homecoming, didn't go to grad night, didn't do anything because I really made no friends. All my friends were back having a good time in St. Louis. 
To this day, I regret that my, I should have stood my ground and said, I'm not going. I'm not moving out to, to California until my senior year is over. Because my grandparents said I could stay with them, and my mother said, no, you're not. But you know what? I was 18, because I was a year behind, that I should have just done. But you know what? That's past. I can't do anything about it. So I come out to California. We get in a house. Everything's fine. My father has another nervous breakdown. We have to sell the house, and we move into an apartment. During this time, before this, I have to go back. I worked starting at 12 years old. I babysat. All my money went to helping my parents. Because sometimes my father had a job, sometimes he didn't. So the money I made went to pay bills and help out. And during this time, yes, I'm stealing from drugstores, I'm stealing from grocery stores, I'm stealing anything I could get. I'm a thief. So I come out here and what do I do? I get a job at a place called Taco Pronto, which was so funny. I was talking about this at another meeting in the Valley. And this woman goes, Taco Pronto used to be my favorite place to eat. You know, and this is a place that's not there anymore. And I got fired because I ate too much. I ate everything, you know, the tacos, the beans, the whole shebang. So when I got fired from that, I went to Baskin-Robbins. You know, you guys, the compulsive reader, you need to stay where there's food. <laughs> you know, you can't go out someplace where there's no food around. I mean, what? I would go crazy. So I went to work at Baskin-Robbins, and I became the manager of Baskin-Robbins. So when people came in and got pink bubblegum ice cream, there was no bubblegum in it. And when they went to come and get your milk almond fudge, there was no almonds. I mean, I just had a blast at Baskin-Robbins. Made my first banana split with all hot fudge. And then I was sicker than a dog because it was too sweet. Can you believe that? A compulsory review was too sweet. So I stayed there until I decided it was time to move on and went to work at Thrifty Drugstore. Well, Thrifty's got ice cream and candy and chips. So I made my rounds, but I stole it. I never paid for it. I went, I used to scoop the ice cream so late at night I'd have an ice cream. Or I'd steal a candy bar. Or I'd have chips. Hey, I had everything there. And I really, I was in going to college at this time. I was going to Pierce College. And, <clears throat> and that was my way. I paid for my, my own schooling. I didn't ask my parents for anything. And one day I came home. I made friends. And one day I came home and I walked in the door. My mom was really pissed at something. And as I walked in the door, she slapped me across the face. And I, to myself, said, that is enough. I cannot take this anymore. All the eating, all the stuff I was doing was not getting me any better. So I packed my bags and left without them even seeing. My father didn't know where I was going. Nobody knew, and I moved in with some friends. The next day, I hear this, and that's my father at the door. He found out where I was, and he brought bagels, cream cheese, locks, and had breakfast with all of us. You know, that's the way, that's how my dad was. My mom and I didn't talk for a while. And um, I made a new life with my friends. We all roomed together. I moved into a house. There was five of us. I was the cook. So being on my own now, and we were on a limited budget, we all chipped in. I loved to cook. So I made homemade monocotti and spaghetti and um, brisket. And I mean, name the food. We had great dinners every single night. We never had a meal that was not good. And it was wonderful because then we stay up and study till 3 in the morning and we have popcorn and ice cream and candy. I mean, you know, when you're studying that late, you've got to have something to keep you up. So, of course, I really compulsively overate. Now, in the meantime, I'm competing in sports. 
I was um, very ranked high in doubles and badminton. I played softball. I played basketball. I played. I competed in volleyball. Very active in sports. In fact, I played competitive softball until I was 47 years old, and I hurt my arm. Um, but I overate. Overate. Of course, when we got done with the game, we'd go out and drink and eat. You know, that was life for me. Life for me was getting as much food in as I could. Stuffing my stomach so bad that it hurt, but never being full. Never being full. I always wanted more. I always wanted that next bite. And that next bite led to another bite, led to another bite. Where I became, my stomach was like somebody had put a bomb in my stomach and just pushed it out so far that I couldn't move. I mean, on my way to school, I'd be throwing things in my mouth before I got into class. I didn't stop eating. <coughs> so I finally, in and out, I was also in and out of relationships. Had a very hard time keeping relationships because I was never happy in a relationship. So I ate to make everything happy. You know, I'd fall in love, be madly in love with somebody, and things weren't going right, and I'd eat and eat and eat, and then the relationship broke up. And I did, went through this about four times. And um, I went into Al-Anon because I hooked up with somebody that I didn't know was an alcoholic. And when I was in Al-Anon, I learned to take a good look at myself and do what I needed to do. Well, I finally got out of Al-Anon, and a couple years later, about four years later, five years later, um, I got into a relationship that I've now been in for 23 years. I am gay. I tell everybody that because I don't care what you think. It is my life, and as long as my parents accepted me and my family, I don't care about anybody else. And um, I got into a relationship with someone who was a nun. So you have a good Jew and a good nun. (laughs) You had the devil and an angel. So it was really a working relationship. Because here's somebody who was raving all the time, and here's somebody that was... Do you really need to fight over this? Is it that important that you get angry? Did you ever just stop and think about it and go, Fuck! Let me tell you how I feel! You don't have to yell at me. And I'm going, so, I mean, it was, it was hard. It was hard. So, I, I went to a party. We went to a party. And a friend of mine was there that used to be in Al-Anon. And she had taken off all this weight. Now, you, in the meantime, you know I've been on every diet. I've been on every shot. I was on speed. I'm hyper as it is. So giving me speed was like just taking me to the moon and I would be up for a week on one pill of speed. Took on a cup of coffee that had caffeine, I'd be up for three days. Never had to worry. Now I go to bed at 1, 2 in the morning and I'm up at 6.30 and I go all day long at work. I go work out for two hours. I come home and don't go to bed till 1 or 2 in the morning again. That's my life. I have so much energy. So you can imagine what speed did to me. Got off of all that, and I went to this party, and I said to Linda, God, you look great. What happened? She goes, I went to OA. And I said, what's OA? She goes, over here's anonymous. She said, I couldn't stop eating. And we talked for a while. I thought, okay, great. About a couple years later, um, I started punching myself in the stomach started hitting my head against the wall, started hitting myself so bad that I wanted to die. I wanted to die. During this time, um, right before this, my father got very ill, 
and passed away. That probably has been the hardest thing for me in my life as of t- up to today. I was the last person to see him alive, and I loved my father dearly. He was everything to me. Nothing mattered more than having my father's love. And, um, and when I look in the mirror every morning, I see my father. So that was, that just threw me over the edge. And, um, I had a very hard time. So, then there was my mom who was on her own, and my other two sisters were like, eh. I ended up being the one who kind of took care of my mother. As much as I hated my mother, I ended up being the one there to make sure she was okay. And finally, I just couldn't stand myself anymore. I had gone to therapy because I started getting anxiety attacks. The only place I could go was to work at home. Could not do anything else. The the therapist said my nerve endings were so raw that I couldn't handle anything else. And if you've ever had an anxiety attack, it feels like you're having a heart attack and you're rushed to the hospital. They, They gave me a choice. You can either have alcohol or you can have a pill or you can go home and do nothing. Remarkably, I chose to go home and do nothing and try to get through it. But then I had to be put on medication and I had to go to therapy. And knock on wood, because of this program, I don't have the anxiety. So I found myself punching myself, banging my head against the wall, beating myself up, totally beating myself up. And one night I was by myself in the house and I found, I went into the kitchen, opened up the, the, the refrigerator, and sat on the floor in front of it and shelf by shelf started eating all the food. Everything that was on the shelves, I started eating. I stood up, walked over to the counter, pulled out the drawer, pulled out a knife. And had this black knife, I can remember, this big edged, you know, blade to it. And I was going to kill myself because I thought this was enough. I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take how I was feeling, what I was going through, and nobody understood what I was going through. Nobody could relate to what I was going through. Nobody understood compulsive overeating. You know, what do you mean you're a compulsive overeater? I eat all the time. Well, so do I. (laughs) So, as I was going back to the refrigerator, you know, God works in mysterious ways. All I heard in my head was OA. That's the only words I heard in my head was OA. And I'm thinking, OA, OA. I called up information, found out the phone number to the OA office, found out there was a candlelight meeting in the valley on Friday nights at the Darby office. I'm in tears. I'm driving myself there, walked in, sat in the very back of the room, and listened to everybody pitch and started crying. And all I could say was, oh, my God, I'm not by myself. I'm not the only one that feels this way. I was amazed by everybody's pitch. I just sat there just bawling, thinking that now I have somebody to talk to, somebody who knows what I was going through, that I wasn't by myself. You know, people came up to me at the end of the meeting and talked to me because I was crying so hard. That night... December 12, 1986, I became abstinent. I took myself off the sugar. That was my abstinence. Went to meetings as many days as I could in a row. 
got a sponsor, started working the program, and thought I was doing great. Now, during this time, I'm giving service. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm abstinent. Abstinence, to me, is the most important thing in this program. I have a perfect abstinence. It is perfect. My food plan may not be, but my abstinence, I do not take that first bite no matter what. If I want that, I have a sponsee that I said, please don't take that first bite. And she took that first bite. And then the next day, can I have pie now? You know, that first bite just triggers you. That taste of something that you're asking on will trigger you to want more and more and more. And I'm not willing to do that. So my food plan wasn't great. Here's my food plan. I could have three meals a day with two snacks because I was competing still. So I'd be up till 11 o'clock playing softball at night or, you know, doing something else. So my idea of eating was dinner. And I love what this woman said. I had two pieces of chicken. I took a whole chicken, cut it in half. That's two pieces. <laughs> Remember, we're compulsive overeaters. We don't know. I mean, to us, that's a meal. That's two pieces. I would eat a ba- I would say I have a baked potato. But I never told my sponsor it was the size of a football. You know, yes. Oh, yes, I'm eating a baked potato. Or, you know, if I'm eating pasta. Oh, yes. My bowl was this big. But, yes, I'm having pasta for dinner tonight. You know, bread, igucinis. I remember igucinis because my vendors would take me out to lunch. So I go to igucinis. Do you think I cared about the food? Bring me the basket of olive bread. I remember to this day how that tasted. Olive bread and the olive oil. And all I wanted to do was right in front of me and let me just keep dipping. And while everybody was talking, I kept wanting more baskets of bread. And I just kept on eating. You know, hey, I was abstinent. Sugar was my abstinence. I was working a great program. In my eyes. Um, I did the, the first step, second step, and third step. I did it through APOR, which is applied, uh, uh, um, APOR is applied principle of, of addictive recovery. And it's part of OA. It's mainly a writing uh, workshop. And I did my, through, through APOR. Then I did my fourth step with my sponsor. And my sponsor is the only one that knows every single thing about me. That knows all the bad I did all the good I did. She is the only one, only one in my life. My partner doesn't even know. But one thing in this program is you need to be honest. You need to write down and let go of things so that when you start this program, when you really get into it, you're going in there feeling empty as no baggage with you, not this heavyweight backpack that's going to kill your back. I let everything out. I did all the steps. I made my amends. I did my, my you know, um, my uh, character defects. I could hardly think of any at that time. But then she pointed out some. Um, no, I, I had some. I, I kind of knew. Um, but it was, it's, you know, it's just how you work this program. You know, and um, I was a sponsor I still sponsor. I have sponsees. Um, we meet. We talk. We write. Uh, today I went grocery shopping with one of my sponsees to help her choose better food for her. You know, because she was having a problem. I'm willing to go to any length to help my sponsees. Just like people in the program that I'm around will go to any length to help me. I give service. I'm the uh, 
chairperson of the San Fernando Valley Intergroup. I've been on the board for four years. Um, I will bend over backwards to do anything I need to do to keep my abstinence. So about 12 years ago, thinking I'm just doing wonderful, I started feeling really tired. And when you're hyper and, you can, and you're running around all day long, and all of a sudden you're very, very tired, and no matter what you do, you cannot function. So I ended up going to the doctor, and they ran a bunch of tests on me and went, surprise, you're diabetic. Now, nobody in my family has diabetes. Nobody. So, and I was off of sugar for eight years before I even got diabetes. So they put me on the pills, and they said, go see a, a nutritionist and follow this food plan because you need to take off the weight. At that time, I weighed 145. So I went there, and I did everything they said I should do because OA was there for me to help me get me through this crisis. So I took off the weight. I went down to 119 pounds. And as before when somebody told me when I lost weight, and they said to gain weight, I was all for it. Like, okay, sure, I'll gain weight. And I gained like 40, 30 pounds back. This time I had to gain just what I needed to gain back because I was too thin. And I had to go, I'm on a pump 24 hours a day. I'm on insulin. They said I'm a one and a half. And they said it was caused by carbohydrates and stress, not by the sugar. So let me tell you, if you're out there eating carbs and you think, hey, you're doing a great food plan, wrong. (laughs) Wrong. You don't realize that lettuce has carbohydrates. You don't realize all the foods that have carbs in it. You know, it's funny. Now being a diabetic, I have to read every package. I have to count how many carbs I'm having at every meal. I'm only allowed a certain amount of carbs at each meal and snack. And it's amazing how I've changed my food. I lost my weight. I've kept it off for 12 years. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do on the program. My life couldn't be any better. I now have released everything. I don't have to worry about food. I can't, not all the time. But I don't crave all that food I was craving before. I don't need the pies and the cakes and the sugar. I don't need all that stuff. My food plan for a day is, for me, for me, is eight ounces of yogurt, some fiber one, and some um, um, frozen berries in the morning. That's my breakfast. Now, I have to eat six times a day. For lunch or for a snack, I may have an ounce of pumpkin seeds, maybe a bar, whatever. My bars are small bars. They're not giant bars, and these bars have no sugar, have a lot of fiber, hardly any carbs. I make sure that it's right. Lunch, I mainly eat tofu. So it's tofu, vegetables, and I found these organic crackers. They're all organic and have a ton of fiber in it. My snack is an apple before I go to the gym. My dinner is very light. It's either a piece of chicken and vegetables, fish and vegetables, tofu. Sometimes it's yogurt. Sometimes I found this egg salad that has, you could eat the whole container and it's only 100 calories. I eat my portion and I have it on some soy crisp, which I, there's a portion there and I have this, the right amount. And then for dessert, I have two sugar-free pops, uh, uh, popsicles and 12 almonds. That is my food plan. I eat salads. Yes, I do. I eat salads. 
but I don't, even when we go out to restaurants, I'm very careful of what I eat. When I went to New Zealand a couple years ago, I brought my food. When I went to Italy um, this year, I brought my food. I took a suitcase and I brought food that was all sealed of all the food I could eat. Because I knew when I went to Italy and all they served as pasta, I was in trouble. Thank God one of the places knew I was diabetic. They made me my food, but every day I had the same food. And thank God I brought breakfast because they didn't have anything for breakfast I could eat. And lunch, they don't know what vegetables are. They only know what pasta and bread is. Thank God one of the days I found a place that served vegetables. And I picked out on the vegetables. You know, so it was just great. When I went to New Zealand, they had warned all the restaurants we were going to eat at that I was coming. The chefs came out and walked around with me to every bit of food and told me everything that was in, all the food that was there. And if there was nothing I could eat there, they would make me something. I work this program no matter where I go or what I'm doing. My program does not change because I'm going on a trip. I live this program. It's my life. I can't afford to go off of it, no matter what. I started exercising. I now do two hours of kickboxing. I do an hour of heavy duty, and I mean heavy duty weight training. I do an hour of core training. I'm stronger than a lot of men at the gym. And what I like, I have to show you this. Because, you know, for being 60, there's my muscles that you can see. And you know what? For 60 years old, damn, I'm good. You know, I love it. I love it. I never thought, my father died when he was 59. And because I thought I was just like my father, I would be dying. I still have two more months to go. But I feared turning 59. I've dreaded this whole year. It's been very hard for me to get through this year. And I still dread it for the next two months. Because I'm just like my father. My father had depression. I have depression. My father had a bad back. I have a bad back. My father overate. I overate. Um, Just, but we had the same personality, which is the good side. And so it's been a hard struggle for me. But I get up every morning and I say the serenity prayer. I look outside and I look up in the sky and I say, thank you, God, for yesterday. Thank you for what I got yesterday. I don't care how bad the day was. I say, thank you. I'm still alive. And then I say, whatever. We have no control over what our day is going to be like. If you have control, then you're not working this program like you should. I have no control of what's going to happen to me from the time I get up till the time I go to sleep. So whatever. And that's the only thing I say. And one of my friends in OA had a sign made for me out of wood that's on my kitchen cupboard where I grab all my stuff before I leave. And it says, whatever. You know, I can't ask for anything more. I'm in a loving relationship. Um, Before my mother passed away, I got to sit on the bed, at the end of the bed. And I remember this. She got pancreatic cancer. She had just had surgery in her heart. Felt great. Started walking, doing all this stuff. And during the years that my father had passed away, I went over there a lot, and Fran went over there a lot, and she considered Fran her daughter. And Fran did a lot for my mom, more than I really did. And um, we kind of took care of my mom because my sisters didn't. It was so-so. 
um, when I was when my little sister was younger, I would go get my sister out of the house and take her with me because she couldn't stand being around my mom. And um, so I helped raise my little sister, and we're like this now. And right when my mom, we were out to breast swimmer, and she complained of stomach pains and found out that she had pancreatic cancer. And this is right after she had the heart surgery. And she was so happy she was feeling great. So they gave her a month to live. I knew I had to sit down and talk to her, that I could not let her die without having a conversation with her because I would regret the rest of my life and feel guilty if I could not talk to her. So she's laying in the bed, and I'm sitting at the edge of the bed, and I just said, Hey, Mom, can we talk? And she goes, Yeah. And I said, Can you tell me why you did the things you did to me? I said, I love you, but I need to know why everything happened to me. And she said, I love you. I've always loved you. I don't know why. I can't explain it. And I said, that's okay. And they tell you in this program that people do the best they can. And you need to accept them for what they did. And I accepted my mother for who she was. Today I'm the only one that goes to the cemetery and visits both my mom and dad at the cemetery. And I talk to them. And every time I go there, I tell them I love them. And when things are going crazy with me, I'll look up in the sky and just go, Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. Wish you were here. Because now I really miss them. I always miss my, mom, my dad. But I really miss my mom. Because I never got to have the relationship that I really wanted to have with my mother. But I know my mother loved me, and my mom knows I loved her. And that's what counts. So my life, I can't complain about anything in my life. My doctor tells me I'm the healthiest diabetic in his practice. I have, he, in fact, I'm sometimes too low in my blood sugar. Um, he brought a patient in that would not lose weight that's very overweight and a diabetic and on the danger point. And he asked me if I would come in there and, and our intergroup person for uh, what's called um, hospitals and institution went with me. And I started talking to this gentleman and telling him what OA was like. My, he called me up the next day and said, this is what I'm doing, is that okay? My doctor called me back weeks later. He had lost weight. He was following the food plan I had suggested my doctor said, I don't know what you said, but he is doing great. You know, if, it only, if only one person hears what you have to say and follows what you suggest, you know, they tell you, take what you need and leave the rest. If one person does that, you know what? You've done your job. For the newcomers, you know what? You may not understand anything I'm saying today, but that's okay. You're here. And you may go to sleep during my conversation. <laughs> but you know what? You're here and I hope you keep coming back. Because I may say something that doesn't relate to you, but the next person may. Go to as many meetings as you can. I am happy, joyous, and free. And that's what this program promises you. You know that? The promises are great. You know, um, acceptance. I've learned to accept myself 
most of the time. There's times, I had a problem because I was so stressed last week. And, you know, just because I almost have 21 years and because my answer is perfect doesn't mean I go back and forth and go crazy. There's days when I want to eat everything in sight. And one, a couple weeks ago, I went insane. I work at Sony and I run a print shop. And all of a sudden everybody comes in and everything's a rush. And things were going wrong. And, I, and I'm the boss. And I just really had had it. I just wanted to go berserk. And Thursday I burst out crying at work. And I, all I wanted to do was eat. I didn't. In fact, the crying, and I was so upset, I couldn't eat. I went from wanting to eat to could not eat. And I have to learn, which I'm trying to do, is not let the stress get to me. Don't let the stress get to me. Most of the time, I'm fine. You know, I've been there 11 years, and I'm on contract, and they, they, they won't let me go. They said that I, my boss at Sony says, you can't retire until I do, and I said to her, you're much younger than I am, so I don't think that's true. Um, but such a, I'm such a different person. All my friends to this day that have known me for over 30 years cannot believe the kind of person I am now, how loving, how caring I am. It's still all about me. Sorry, I try a lot, so it's not about me. But a lot of times it is still about me. I still have faults, you know. I'm not perfect. But I've learned how to change my attitude. I've learned how to talk to people. I've learned how to deal with life on life's terms, not on my terms. Everything had to be on my terms. I can't do that anymore. It only got me in trouble. It only caused problems for me. I get up with a smile on my face in the morning. When I go into Sony with security guards, they say to me, do you know you're the only person that every single morning smiles and says hello to us? Why shouldn't I? I walk in, I see them every morning. Why shouldn't I say, Thank, how are you and what's going on? I would want somebody to do that to me. You know, they're part of my life. They take care of my car. You know, um, I have a boss that is absolutely wonderful um, at work. And for the first time in my life, praised me. Because the old boss never did that. A new boss that actually said, we can't do without you. I am so glad you're here. I haven't heard that in 11 years from my job. And that's nice to hear. And got a raise. And got a great evaluation. My life with my, with my partner is absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Here's what she hears if I get angry. Blah, 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 Fran. Blah, 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 Fran. And when I say, did you hear me? She goes, yeah, blah, 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 Fran. Blah, 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 Fran. She doesn't take anything in. Because it's not important. She lets me do all my blabbing. But to her, it's not important. She lets me get it off my chest. And then she says, now do you feel better? Sometimes I say no. But most of the time I say yes. But one thing in our relationship, I'm allowed to be me. I'm allowed to be me in OA. They tell you it's principles before personalities. I come in this program for myself. Not because I want you to like me, you to like me, you to like me. I used to be a people pleaser. Now I don't care. I don't care anymore. I'm here for me, for my life, to survive. I work the steps. I work the traditions. I give service. I speak. I help out at the birthday party. I do a lot of stuff to keep me in this program. And I need to do that. Because if I walk out these doors 
I will never come back. And I will gain all my weight back. There's a great meeting on Sunday mornings in the Valley called Relapse and Recovery. And I go there to listen to all the people who have relapsed many times so that I don't relapse. I hear their stories and go, oh my God, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be in that situation. I mean, they've been yo-yoing for a long time. And to hear them, I just feel so sorry for them that I don't want to be there. And that's a good shot for me to let me know, do not leave. Do not change anything. Just keep trudging the road to happy destiny. And that's what I do. And acceptance. Acceptance is a very important part part in, in my life. You know, in the big book, that part on acceptance, I have to learn to accept whatever's happening, whatever's going on. I didn't plan it. I didn't choose it. My higher power probably put me in that situation for some reason. I don't know why. Spirituality, which is a very important part of my life. When I lived in St. Louis, we went to synagogues and temples. That was my life. When we came out here, we went to a church for services. I walked to a church going, what is this? And so for a long time, I did not go to any services during the Jewish holiday. I now belong, if anybody's heard of Valley Outreach. It is a 12-step temple that is absolutely fantastic. When services are there, it's almost like you're in a meeting and they do the 12 steps. On one of the holidays, they have a gratitude meeting that 200 people come to that are in program. That sit and stand up and tell everybody what they're grateful for. I love that temple. I love it. I go there whenever there's Shabbat. I go there whenever there's... In fact, um, I'm bringing friends. There's a soul night coming up in a couple of weeks. And I'm bringing a bunch of friends to that. Because I wanted to feel what I feel when I go into temple. Um, even the music they play at temple, one of the, the music director is a very famous guy, and he wrote, took, he took the serenity prayer and made it into a song. He took some other of the 12-step things and made them into a song. I mean, just being in this room and feeling like you're God's right there, and you're working the program during a holiday. How amazing. How great it is. You know? It's just wonderful. And I, you know, I, I couldn't ask for any more in my life. You know, I couldn't, oh God, I didn't think I would speak this long. Well, all I can say to all of you is keep coming back. Talk to your sponsors if you need to make changes. If you're stuck in a spot, you know you need to make a change. You know, don't do what I did for eight years and just sit here and don't do anything and think you're doing just fine. Your absence is the most important thing in your life. You don't have to be perfect on your food plan. You do the best that you can. Give service. That's the best thing you can do. The best thing to keep you in this program. To make you feel like you're part of Make friends with people in this program. Make outreach calls. Get to know different people. Share. Talk to newcomers when they come into the room. Be out there to help other people. That helps. You know what? That also helps yourself. Stand in front of the mirror and tell yourself how much you love you. Yourself. It may be hard, but you know in the long run, you do end up loving yourself. 
And all I can say to you is don't walk out these doors, no matter what. Thank you.